0: You're listening to episode 40 of the We Got The Runs podcast. In this episode, we'll continue the guide to running, and today we're going to talk about injury prevention. Welcome to the We Got The Runs podcast. I'm your host, Letty Ledquist, and I invite you to join me as we talk about all things running. In this podcast, we talk tips, tactics, and strategies to make every run a good run. Hey runners, and welcome to episode 40, part 4 of our current series. Hi Ryan, how's it going? Hi, I'm doing well. That's good. So Ryan, surprise, today I'm going to talk about injury prevention and I'm going to put you on the spot because I'm going to introduce you as Dr. Ryan Lundquist because you're actually a board certified radiologist and your specialty is musculoskeletal radiology. Welcome Dr. Ryan Lundquist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So preference it by it's not my area of expertise to talk about injuries but I can tell you what I observe.
0: Perfect. That's all we need. So, all right. So, let's pick your brain. What are the most common running injuries that you see?
1: So, as a radiologist, I read imaging. MRIs mostly for me, but also x-rays. Generally, when there is an injury that they think is significant enough that might require some type of surgery or, uh, you know, that has some structural problem that's going on, that's when they send them for imaging and that's when I'll see them. If they don't think it's as severe um, and they're just going to treat it conservatively or other stuff, I may never see them. So, I'm a little, I have a little bias as to what I actually see by being a radiologist. But saying that, you know, we do MRIs of pretty much everything. Most of the stuff that goes wrong happens in the joints or the things that are moving. Um, you know, when you're running, you think of, you know, feet, ankles, knees, hips, It's where most of the stuff happens. You know, some people, I guess, with back too, but knees are very common. You see a lot of knees, see a lot of meniscal tears. You see a lot of, like they have iliotibial band friction syndrome. So, basically just rubbing of tendons or ligaments on other tissues causing inflammation. Probably heard like bursitis, like bursa. There's bursas all over the place and they can get inflamed and cause bursitis. There's typical ones that happen, you know, When people run, things like that. Condomalasia patella is a common one. It's basically just fissuring of the cartilage of the patella. And that happens in runners. In the lower leg, you get shin splints or just muscle strains. Um, Probably one of the – seems to be one of the muscles that's used the most in running is the calf muscles. Or heavily used anyway. Um, You have ankle. you You have ankle Common injuries are like ligaments and stress fractures, ankle and foot, I guess, stress fractures. There's a lot of tendons there that sometimes can get inflamed too. So an inflamed tendon or tendon sheath can be either tendinopathy or tenosynovitis. Tendon sheath is tenosynovitis maybe. So itis just means it's inflamed. So the tendon sheath is inflamed. Um, hips. Hips, you can have some problems. There's a... You know, the iliotibial band starts proximally in the hip. You can have friction syndromes there. The hip extensor muscles can get pathology. There's bursa, greater trochanteric bursa, lots of different things like that. They could keep going on, but I think those are probably some of the things that I see the most common for, like, sports-related or running injuries.
0: That's interesting. That's so many of them. And when you see those, are they mostly... Because people make mistakes, because they run funny, because they run too much, or do you think that's something that's age related? That you know, the more you run, the worse you wear everything out.
1: So it's interesting. I did see. A, I read an article somewhere about. I don't remember the name of it. I'd Have to look and search for it again. But that that a lot of this like activity causes micro trauma constantly, and that micro trauma is healing. And and overall, I think that you know, it's kind of like just the normal body processes for things to be you know injured and regenerated over time and in general i think that's good for you i know certain things like cartilage and you know meniscus you know rely on movement in order to supply the nutrients needed for it to continue it's like existence, I guess, is the best way to say it. And if you're not moving the joints or so, they'll kind of atrophy or go away. Um, And so, I think the notion that running would destroy joints because wear over time destroys joints is not necessarily true. Because if that were the case, then all runners would have incredibly bad osteoarthrosis or degenerative change. And wouldn't be able to walk and in my experience that's definitely kind of almost even the opposite of cases where I see a lot of older runners and visually at least by MRI imaging the knees look younger than their chronological age actually. Um, A lot of that probably has to do with a lot of different factors and this is just my observation it's not any study or qualified data to support it but it you know, maybe the runners are also just living a healthier lifestyle or another stuff too. But it certainly doesn't seem to be the case where people run more miles and get more damage. Like it's not a direct relationship. It's definitely more complex than that.
0: That's super interesting, Ryan. And I'm really glad that you went and debunked one of the biggest running misconceptions that I was actually going to ask you about. The whole notion that Running wears out your knee, and you said that's not true. That you've seen many runners' knees older, and that are actually looking better than the younger people's. So, what causes this wear out of the knees in your observation most?
1: I think that the the I guess some of the biggest factors, like I was, I what I said before, is you know genetic predisposition, um, over being overweight. It seems um, and prior injury or trauma, like severe prior injury or trauma. Again, that's not data-driven. That's just my theory based on observation. Yeah,
0: yeah. And what about this other misconception? What about this whole barefoot running that we saw in the early 2000s or mid-2010-ish you know when we had the Vibram five-finger shoes come out and everybody was saying, you have to run barefoot because it's bringing you back to your natural state. What do you think about that? Is it um, actually going to help you reduce injuries or could it make it worse because we live in a society where we're all used to wearing shoes all the time?
1: I think that's hard. I mean, I think any generalization where you say – all or none is never accurate. I think that in the right setting or in the right environment you know barefoot running or or you know very light cushioned, shoe running is probably a good thing but it obviously excessive amounts of it could put more stresses on all it does put more stresses on all the joints and bones and everything else and could lead to injury of those. Also our environment has changed so if you try to look at it from an evolutionary part where it's like, you know, we in the past ran that way. So we should be able to run that way. Well, it's difficult because of our environment has changed a lot. And we all, we have a lot of hard surfaces, you know, paved streets and sidewalks and things like that, that didn't exist in the past. So I don't know if that's necessarily relevant. I mean, if you're running on soft ground or so, that does provide cushion. So you might not need as big of a shoe cushion, But I don't know, maybe hopefully you'll tell us some data that'll actually give us better insight.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess we're back to square one where running is an individual sport and no one size fits all, just like with your shoes. That's true. All right, so I'm going to move on and I'm going to talk to Australian physiotherapist Brody Sharp, who donated a lot of his time for this segment. Instead of answering one of our listeners' questions, which we usually do, he came on for a whole seven questions, and he will talk to us about how to prevent running injuries. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Brody Sharp. All right, so I'm back on here with Brody Sharp. Brody, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Always had fun jumping on your podcast. Thanks for having me on again.
0: Of course, and today we're lucky because we get to talk to you a little bit more than usually when we just have an injury-related question for you. So let's dive into this. We're doing a podcast for the newer runners or runners that have been doing it for a while and have been lucky and not have gotten injured yet. And so we want to talk about injury prevention. So of course, the number one question is, what are the most common running injuries that you see?
2: Okay, um, if we follow like the the literature of what, what the evidence says is the most common related injuries, the most common joint would be the knee, uh, particularly what we call patellofemoral pain, which would be kneecap pain, um, very common, more prevalent in female runners and very common if you've had like a spike in training load. Uh, The most common running related injuries that I see is mainly proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which is like an irritation of the hamstring tendon as it attaches on your sitting bone. And the other one I would see most often is plantar fasciitis. And being uh, an online physio, the, those two conditions that i see mainly are ones that if you mismanage it then it just doesn't get better on its own sometimes these injuries like shin splints or calf strains or achilles sometimes they can just resolve on their own but a lot of times people struggle with proximal hamstring tendinopathy and plantar fasciitis Um, they can go for months sometimes years with those particular conditions and so they're usually the injuries that i see most often
0: yeah. Those are awful. Those are those nagging injuries that just don't seem to get away no matter what you, what's on Absolutely. your schedule. <laughs> so in, re- in regards to that, um, what's the number one thing that we can do to avoid those injuries or just injuries in general?
2: Yeah. If we were to try and take away or try and grasp one concept that would be the most effective for avoiding injuries, it's almost um analyzing your training and making sure you're not doing either too much too soon or changing anything too drastically and so most runners know the concept of doing too much too soon or running too fast when they're not really adapted to doing that they haven't had a lot of practice with doing that um but some other drastic changes that they might not realize would be changes in say terrain So they've gone from running a lot of um, flat ground sort of terrain to then doing hills all of a sudden. That can be a big spike in their training, even though it's the same distance or the same time or the same speed. But changing terrain really changes the demands on the body and they could lead to overuse injuries. The other thing would be, um, say, like a drastic change in like your shoe type. If you've gone from having like a really supportive shoe with a high, heel stack, and then all of a sudden you've tried a zero drop shoe or something with less support, and then you run the same mileage and you run the same speeds and the same distances, that can still be a spike in training because it's a huge demand on uh, different areas of the body. And so, to answer your question, it'd just be analysing your training and knowing that if you want to change your training, if you want to increase your distance or terrain or increase or change your shoes make sure we do so sensibly, make sure we do so um, in very small dosages and then just build up from there. If you do that, then it would significantly reduce your risk of injury.
0: That's interesting. And just to follow up on that a little bit for our winter runners, because we have winter in North America right now and up North, there's a lot of people that are running on treadmills during the winter time. And when they're going through their spring training cycles for you know the imaginary marathons that we have this year, would you see that too, when somebody goes from treadmill to road that there would be um, a potential injury?
2: Yeah, huge. the The thing you need to know about treadmills is the muscles you use to propel you forward when you run, doesn't have the same demand when you're on the treadmill. Essentially, all you need to do when you're on a treadmill is just pick your feet up because the belt is moving underneath you. You don't actually need to push off or push forward. You just need to pick up your foot and place it back down. And so, there are studies to show that there is um, changes to not necessarily the angles of your body, but the forces that need to be produced uh, do change from treadmill to um, – road so theoretically if you were doing a lot of treadmill running you might not necessarily being put a lot you might not put a lot of load through your calves because you're not pushing off the treadmill but if you do that same mileage then all of a sudden a few months later you try and do that same mileage on the road it's a larger demand on your calves it's a larger demand on your achilles on your feet and yeah potentially could be a spike in load that's a, a good scenario
0: So then the key would be to just kind of slowly go from treadmill to road. You could probably do half of it on the treadmill rather than your full load of your runs and kind of ease into that. Would you say that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't like doing the half half, then if you go back to road and make sure it's considerably less than what you have done on the treadmill, maybe do a walk run and then just see how you feel after that. Um, If it feels fine, if your calves feel fine, if the body feels fine over the next couple of days, then you can just do a little bit more and then just continue from there. So depending on your level of fitness, depending on your previous experience, depending how much time you've had off from road running, um, we can use these guidelines to see where your starting point is. And yeah, just start conservative. And it only takes two or three runs in before you start to realize where your body is where your capacity lies with the road running and then just build on from there
0: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. And let's talk about stretching a little bit, the whole stretching before or after running. And I'm not talking about yoga that you can implement as cross-training. What about stretching before or after you run? Would you recommend that and why or why not just for the average runner?
2: Um I have a couple of answers. Let's just say before running, I would say it's worth trialing for you to see if it works for you. The evidence does show that static stretching doesn't do anything to prepare the body for running. It doesn't do anything to reduce your risk of injury. It doesn't do anything to help your running performance. Um a gradual dynamic warm-up or if you're trying to do something more intense, like faster running, then trying to do some dynamic warm-ups or some just slowly increase your speed during your run would be an effective warm-up, but static stretches don't seem to do much when we put it through some rigorous testing through research. Um, so, it just it I recommend to runners just see what works for you, try different types of stretching methods try stretching for five minutes try stretching for 10 minutes try try stretching for 30 seconds or none at all and then just go for a run and see how you feel with those after trialing those different methods say for me when i first get out of bed if i feel like a little bit like stiff i like to do a stretch on each muscle group but i only do it for 10 seconds or so and then i'm out the door and i'm feeling quite nice when i'm running and that's because i've tried several different running Uh, stretching strategies and found that that's probably the most, uh, the one that I feel the best with. And if I stretch for 30 seconds or if I stretch for five minutes, I feel exactly the same when I start my run. And I do realize if I want to do a fast run that I won't just go straight into my fast run. I'll slowly increase the pace and slowly do some warm-ups and um, have more respect for a dynamic warm-up if it is more intense. But if it's a long weekend, slow run, I just go straight into the running. It doesn't seem to, to bother me too much. And that's, I guess, what the research does show, that doesn't matter. Um, like stretches don't have too much of an effect. Um, and the same can be said for after running. See if it feels nice for you. If it feels nice for you to stretch things out, um, then it's not going to do any damage, uh, but it doesn't do anything for recovery. So um, if you wanted to do something to enhance your recovery, Movement seems to be the best for circulation, for keeping the um, the blood moving, for keeping the muscles active, and that. So maybe going for a walk after your run can be quite nice. Um, maybe doing a, a very very light bike ride just helps keep things moving and keep things circulating. That would be more effective than doing some static stretches. But again, you can try stretching, you can try not stretching, and see if it makes you feel better
0: yeah okay and i've uh, heard about that stuff that you were saying about movement before so when we're sore do we keep running or do we de- do you need to take that as an indicator that we need to rest because some people say the day after your marathon obviously that's a big beast to swallow but you do some running and it'll actually f- make you feel better or you won't get as stiff as you would without but just in general is uh soreness an indicator that we need to take it easy
2: Um, No, it would depend on the type of soreness. And I guess there is that soreness that could lead to injury or be a signal that, yes, you're starting to get an injury. Those sort of characteristics of a, a pain would suggest that you need to either back off what you're currently doing or like stop altogether for a couple of days but then there's this type of soreness this like gym soreness like after a marathon type of soreness we call this delayed onset muscle soreness that can be okay it shouldn't hinder running too much and won't necessarily uh, recover make you recover quicker but won't do any more damage and so um, the I guess the key question is trying to interpret what is good pain, what is bad pain, what is what signals are leading to an injury and what signals are just general body soreness that we can casually run through and it should be okay. Um, I guess the the characteristics for bad pain, if it is an injury, usually it comes on either during a run or straight after a run or the next day and it, it tends to be less widespread throughout the muscle like it tends to be location wise either in a tendon or in a joint or specifically in a part of a muscle like the location is quite um, localized whereas your generic muscle soreness say like after a marathon or after a new gym workout or doing some new exercise that you haven't done before tends to be the whole entire muscle it's always like the day after when you start noticing it it isn't like that bad pain like during a run or straight after a run And it usually settles within a couple of days that there's some characteristics that we can find, okay, this is just our generic muscle soreness, whereas like an injury tends to persist beyond two or three days and people can have it for weeks and weeks and still think that they're okay with pushing through. But if it's not getting better in two weeks, then you probably should start paying attention to it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) So, now that we're talking about being injured, I've heard you talk a lot on my show about that downward spiral that happens when you get injured and then you run less and then you get weaker rather than running a little bit and um, not making the injury worse. Can you explain that concept a little bit and maybe give an example what injuries this concept applies to?
2: Of course, yeah. So, uh, the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral would be a characteristic or a behavior that I see a lot in runners. And we need to think of, let's just say someone goes for a run and they start getting shin pain and they think to themselves, oh, I've, I've done a bit too much. I know I've started to get this shin pain. How about I just take a week off running? I let my body heal. I let the body do what it does, which is just naturally just rebound and um, recover, and then I'll start running again in a week's time or when symptoms are settled and see how I go. And what they do is they rest for five to seven days. They try running again and it's sore and they're like, okay, maybe I need more time to recover. Maybe I just haven't left enough time. And so they take another week or two off and all of a sudden like the amount of running that they used to do significantly reduces. So when symptoms arise, say at the 5K mark, now it's turning up at the 1K mark or the 2K mark and it's almost – the less and less it's starting to become more irritable with less distance. And this is the perfect example of like the, the pain rest weakness downward spiral because we need to consider every area of your body having a certain load capacity. So, if we talk about the shins, if we overdo things and the first time the shin pain comes on at 10Ks, the irritation itself when it's sore and it's sensitive it actually weakens temporarily in the short term. It, it weakens because it's just unable to tolerate certain loads that it used to while it's sore and sensitive. And if we treat that temporary weakness with complete rest, what it does is follow that trend of continuously becoming weaker. And so in a week's time, when you try and run again, it's quite a weak structure. And so people go for a run. It flares up again. We know that with pain and sensitivity, it reduces its... Um, strength and then you treat that as well with another week or two of rest and so we follow this downward spiral so that the capacity of that tissue becomes less and less and less and then when it's really time to see a physio or get it assessed the, the structure itself and your level of tolerance is just really really low and we have to really work our way back up And so um, you see this quite often, you see this very commonly in plantar fasciitis, all of a sudden you've gone from running 10Ks to running say 1K and then it flares up and then maybe being on your feet for two hours, just going shopping is starting to irritate it. And then all of a sudden, any sort of barefoot walking for five minutes starts to flare it up. Then all of a sudden, like if you're wearing supportive shoes and but standing still for 10 minutes, that flares it up. And you see, you've gone from 10Ks of running to 10 minutes of standing. There's that downward spiral over, this is over the period of months and months and months, but that's a, a clear example of what could happen. Um, and so- To combat that, what we need to do is if you do get injured, let's just say we have our shin splints, um, uh, if we have our shin splints at week one, rather than having complete rest, what we should do is start, say, some cross training or start cycling or start some um, like elliptical, some sort of variation that takes the load off, but still preserves a lot of the strength that we have. So we're not combating this injury with complete rest we're actually combating this injury with something else that isn't running that's irritating it maybe walking maybe walking is a good option in week one so that we're not irritating the structure but we're still maintaining some level of strength and that's where you kind of need a health professional to guide you through exactly what injury you have and what we can do to cross train or maintain the strength that you have that doesn't irritate symptoms but doesn't um, contribute to further weakening and you asked as well what type of injuries it does apply to it applies to almost every running related injury except stress fractures stress fractures seem to be the exception for all these rules that we create but uh, we really want to treat that with rest Um, it's almost non-weight bearing Um, so sometimes a cast depending on the level of the stress fracture depending on the location but A lot of times that's, you know, four to six weeks of just non-weight bearing. So bear that in mind, stress fractures, we can um, not consider this concept.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So obviously, as you just said, depending on at what point you are in your injury, it's smart to seek out a professional because obviously there's no one size fits all for treating those injuries.
2: Yeah. And like a correct diagnosis would be, a good step as well. Sometimes if you have knee pain, um, we kind of, it it would be nice to know if it is patellofemoral pain or if it is something else like ITB friction syndrome or, um, something else. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so let's talk about what to do before we get to those injuries. Is there a basic routine of exercises that the average runner can do to hopefully avoid an injury? And I know that probably varies also from person to person, but, um, this is for the average runner that doesn't have any injury right now.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. We, When it comes to exercises um, or strengthening exercises, there's not a lot of literature that can help us, give us the confidence that it does help prevent running-related injuries. What is the most important thing that you can do is what we discussed before, which is making sure we're being sensible within our training and not doing something too abrupt. Um, most of the experts out there that have that are well-versed in the research and conducting these studies do highly recommend that runners do strength training. They're not too sure if it helps a lot with preventing injuries. There's not a lot of evidence yet that it's emerging, but they're very, very confident that all runners should be um, doing some level of strength training because first of all, it helps running performance. It's going to make you more resilient and more well-rounded. And if some, um, Evidence emerges in the future that it does prevent injuries, then it's just icing on the cake. It's just like um, an added benefit. And so those sort of things can be quite nice. Strength training can be quite nice to, for a runner. Um, if we're talking about reducing your risk of injury, then if you are a runner that runs six or seven times a week, um, you might want to, and you're constantly finding yourself injured, you might want to take out a run session, maybe one or two running sessions per week and replace it with some sort of cross-training, maybe some sort of elliptical or swimming or cycling or just to um, spread the load on the body and keep a bit of variety in your training. That way that will reduce the risk of overuse injuries. Um, but if we get back to strength training and the benefits of strength training, one part of advice I would say for your listeners is to make sure that we're starting to work on heavier type of weights. A lot of runners want to just do body weights. They want to do their body weight, calf raises, squats, lunges. Whereas the evidence does show if you want to improve as a runner, once you're able to do so and once you're strong enough to do so, slowly increase the weights so that we're doing some uh, like heavy weighted calf raises, squats, lunges, deadlifts, and as long as your body's adapting along the way and we're not doing something too drastic, tending towards the four sets of eight reps, four sets of 10 reps around about that dosage so that by the eighth rep and by the 10th rep, you're really struggling and it's um, that kind of level of heaviness, you could say.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. I'd never heard of, um, of that type of research that they said, you know, because we hear a lot about using body weight just to do exercises and that you don't need weights
2: yeah the it's almost counterintuitive because people instinctively suggest that because running is a body weight exercise or it's an endurance based exercise we need to train the muscles to increase muscular endurance which is doing calf raises and doing 3 sets of 20 25 reps like these really high rep ranges whereas there's a lot of studies out there to show that If we get people and put them into different groups, we have a whole bunch of runners with baseline characteristics. We put some through bodyweight exercises. We put some through heavy exercises. And then we put some through heavy and plyometric exercises. The ones that improve on their endurance times, like their 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon times, the ones who do the heavy strength training and the ones that do the heavy and plyometric strength training, receive all those benefits whereas the ones who do bodyweight exercises don't really seem to get those added benefits for their endurance times
0: oh that's so cool all right so my last question for you is can you tell us a little bit about your practice you're all the way down under and so how can you help the runners in um, europe north america because i understand that your practice is all online
2: yeah thanks so um i do offer online physiotherapy for, for all runners uh my website is called breakthroughrunning.physio and i do work with runners i've got runners in the us i've got runners in the uk and some across australia at the moment and most runners come to me when they are injured and they've had it for quite a long time and at that stage when they've had it for several months it gets to the point where they don't nec- they don't really need hands-on work they don't need dry needling they don't need um like trigger point release or anything that's hands-on. What they do need is accurate information, like the right education. They need changes in their training or changes or modifications in their their running or their day-to-day exercise. They need uh, someone to potentially analyze how they're running, which we do through videos and that sort of thing. They need like maybe some guidance around a running program, how to start, like where a starting point is for them and how to build up. Or they need an exercise program, which is we just send online um, rehab exercises based on their individual circumstances. And my particular structure is you sign up for either one week of physio or one month of physio. And I'm essentially their physio slash coach side-by-side every step of the way throughout the duration of that package. And so it tends to work really well and we're seeing some really good results.
0: That's perfect, Rohi. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach out to you?
2: Uh, So you can either reach out on social media. They can find my um, Facebook group. So the Run Smarter Podcast Facebook group or on Instagram. So I am quite active on Instagram. It's uh, at run smarter series is a handle or you can, there's a contact form on my website. So breakthrough physio.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, lady. Had a lot of fun.
0: Thanks. Me too. Thank you so much, Brody for coming on and for your awesome interview and for all the amazing tips that you give us. And with that, Ryan, do you have any other tips for our listeners?
1: Um, I think one of the best is like, just listen to your body. You know, your body has the mechanisms to tell it to slow down or to not do something. And that's basically pain. So if you, if you start having pain, you know, listen to it. And, and you don't necessarily have to stop, but just figure out what's going on before you make it worse.
0: Very true. Thank you, Dr. Ryan Lundquist. And <laughs> everybody, thank you for listening. I hope you get something and learned something out of this episode. And until next time, have a great week of running. Thanks for listening. For training tips, previous podcast episodes, and fun merchandise for runners, please check out our website at wgtr.us. That's wgtr.us. And as always, have a wonderful week of running.